my subject this morning is controlling our emotions. Now, how are you handling the pressures of life? I mean, come on, this world hits us sometimes and throws us for a loop. I mean, sometimes we go down and it's hard to get back up, uh, especially if you're Kelly and you're out in the garden. She needs to stay away. She's been, she's been bitten by a, a copperhead, and now a, I didn't even know there was a poisonous caterpillar out there. But, but Kelly found it, and uh, it got at her again. Uh, but what happens when you face the problems of life? And, I mean, let's face it. We have family problems. We have work problems. We have neighbor problems. We have all sorts of problems in life. Um, and so what do we do and how do we handle it? Now, <clears throat> I am guilty of what I'm going to say here. So maybe you are one that has said to somebody who's going through a lot of emotional feelings, maybe you have been as guilty as I am by saying you know, you need to look on the bright side of life. You need to look on, you know, you're looking at the glass half empty. You need to look at the glass half full. And what we don't realize when we're telling people that is that when we're telling people that they shouldn't feel the way they feel, it's a subtle sign of rejection. Um, the truth is, we can do little about how we feel. Uh, the real problem is that sometimes we get a wrong perception of our situation. And then our feeler goes off and we can get all emotional. And some people do different things with their emotions. Some people get depressed. They just... Everything looks gloomy and dark all of a sudden. Um, other people, they handle it by food. I mean, when they get, when they get discouraged, they start eating. Um, others do it by exercising. I, I'm one of those that um, if, if, if I just have a little sign of, I get my running shoes on and I go out and run. Um, so we handle things differently. And I want to get into what, what way that we can handle the emotions that come over us. What is the success in a Christian's mind? According to the world, it's achieving goals and acquiring wealth. It's being financially and emotionally secure. It's someone who knows where they are going and enjoying the fruits of their labor. That's how the world measures success. And so this morning, I want to take a look at one of the most successful prophets in the Bible who, according to the world, was not very successful at all. And we go to Lamentations, the book of Lamentations. It's called the Book of Tears. It's written by the prophet Jeremiah. And for 40 years... He served God. He was God's spokesman. Jeremiah was God's man. But nobody listened to him for 40 years. 
Nobody cared what he said. And uh, nobody was moved by his words. And he was poor. And at one time he was cast into prison. And uh, the world would look at him as a real failure. This guy was preaching for 40 years and nobody would listen. Nobody wanted to hear him. And he would be classified as a real failure. But in God's eyes, Jeremiah was one of the most successful people ever. Regardless of the opposition that he faced, the personal costs that it cost him, he was faithful and obedient to God. That's what made him successful. Because of the circumstances that Jeremiah was faced with at this particular time in his life, he wrongly perceived God. He thought that God was against him, and he loses control of his, of his emotions when he thought that way. Now, I have a, a recent uh, friend up in uh, West Virginia uh, that uh, used to be my neighbor, moved away, came back, and um, she has not a very good background as far as love ever shown to her. And um, she told me, she said, you know, she says, I feel that she's 56 years old now, and she says, I feel that nobody has ever loved me except, and then she told me about her dog. And then I, she sent a picture of her crying over the body of that dog when he died. To grow up to be 56 years old and feel that nobody really has loved you through your life would cause your emotions to go all over the place. There's no way that you could get a handle on them. You know, some of us can say that we grew up without much love, but we all can relate to somebody who loved us. And if you're a born-again Christian, the only thing that really counts is how much God loves us. When we know and believe and trust how much God loves us, we'll be able to once again get a hold of our emotions. It's a, it's a realization that God has given to us. He does the work from within us. Once we really believe and trust that he is who he, who he says he is, then things begin to change. They don't change all of a sudden, but they begin to change. So here we have Jeremiah saying, I am the man who has seen affliction because of the rod of his wrath. He's talking about God. I mean, he's depressed. He's talking about God. He has driven me and made me walk in darkness and not in light. Surely against me he has turned his hand repeatedly all the day. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to the place in your life where you have felt that God was against you. But I can't tell you how many Christians 
the moment that something goes wrong, the first thing that comes to their mind, what am I doing wrong? They sort of look at themselves. What am I doing that's causing God to do this or allow this? Like some people say, oh, God doesn't do it. He allows it. And so all of a sudden, they're, they're conflicted and they want to know what they can do to get themselves out of this. So Jeremiah says, he surrounds me in hardship. This is what he's saying. And he says, I have forgotten that I was once happy. He says, it's, it's, it's totally out of my, my reasoning. And he says that God has shut out his prayers. Now, I don't know about you, but I've heard preachers say, you can ask God for anything and he'll grant it to you if you just believe it. Well, what happens when you pray day after day, year after year, nothing happens? Well, you start looking at yourself. You start looking within. You say, well, there must be something wrong with me. There must be something wrong with my relationship with God. Otherwise, I mean, other people, you know, I, I go to church. I hear someone stand up and give a testimony. And I think, wow, why can't that happen to me? Why isn't that me? I mean, I, I feel that I love God. I know I'm not, not as obedient as I should be. And so all of a sudden now we're looking back at our relationship with God as trying to figure us out about our performance, whether we're actually following God the way he wants us to follow him. And so now we're going to blame ourselves again. We're going to get down on ourselves. We're going to say, oh, that's, yeah, it's me, all right. I mean, I don't, I went a couple of weeks without reading my Bible and I don't, sometimes I pray and sometimes I, I don't. And so there's got to be something wrong with me. And I think you've heard me now saying over and over, there's nothing wrong with you. <laughs> According to God, there's nothing wrong with you. But that's the way you feel because of your performance. That's why it is so difficult for us to come to the place where we actually trust God for our salvation. We always want to put something on it that includes what we're doing or what we're not doing to gauge our relationship with God. Jeremiah had to learn that God wasn't the cause of his affliction. He wasn't causing this. And, and you always have some Christians say, well, oh, no, maybe he wasn't causing it, but he was allowing this. And so there's, there's always an answer. And there's always that, when that answer comes, it gets so confusing because then it comes right back at us again. And that's the problem living out the Christian life. Jeremiah was interpreting his circumstances by his feelings. He didn't feel that God was answering his prayers. He didn't feel 
that God, that everything was right between him and God. And so it caused him to feel that God was causing things. You know, I hear a lot of Christians uh, saying that God disciplines us because it's in the Bible that he, he disciplines us. So when they read that text, then it makes it sounds like you're a little child. God's a big boy and you're a little child and he's going to discipline you and help you along on your road to success in the Christian life. And you, you can only come to one conclusion, really, is that if God is disciplining me, now nah, there's something wrong with me. Or God is trying to teach me something or God is going to give me a lesson and then maybe that'll help me get closer to God. Well, it would be wonderful if that's what it did, but most of the time it doesn't. Listen, whatever circumstances you're going through, it doesn't determine who you are. God determines who you are. You don't. You don't. God tells you that he loves you. That's what God tells you. God tells you he's forgiven you all of your sins. All of them. He'll remember them no more. That's what God is telling you. That's a fact. But your feeler is stuck. Your feeler is stuck. Because you still somewhat believe that it depends on how you perform. It depends on how often you read your Bible. It depends on how often you pray. It depends on how much quiet time you have. It depends on all these things. Because it's really your fault. And so it gets, the Christian life can become very confusing at times. Very, very confusing. So God wants you to know the truth. He wants you to know the truth about him. And he wants you to know the truth, how he looks at you, how he perceives you. He wants you to know that. He wants you to believe that. And then he wants you to walk as if you believe that. You know, that's a, that's a completely different thing, isn't it? Walking as if you believe something. But that's what God wants you to do, because then... When you listen to God, then that's when you're going to find your emotions are going to start changing. They're going to start changing according to the truth that you actually believe. Now, most of you have heard the story of Cain and Abel. They were to bring a sacrificial offering. Cain was the eldest son. Cain was, he's a man of the, he's, he's a farmer, he's, he's, and he was going to bring God his uh, offering of his vegetables, his, the produce. And of course, Abel, he knew what God meant when he said the sacrificial offering, a blood offering, so he brought his offering. In Genesis, it's, it's interesting here, but for Cain and for his offering, God had no regard, had no regard. So Cain became very angry, and his countenance fell. Then the Lord said to Cain, and this is what we want to get out of this. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? I mean, why are you angry, Cain? 
And then he says, why has your countenance fallen? Why are you looking at life the way you're looking at it? I mean, first of all, you get all angry. And then you're looking at life like it's no good. Then the Bible says this. If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? I mean, look at what happens when things go well with us. All of a sudden, we're happy. All of a sudden, our countenances, we're riding high. It's just like one day I went to the mailbox and I received a check for $2,000. And I can't tell you how happy I left that post office. I mean, that was a very exciting day. Um, because the man who sent it to me, I didn't know he was going to send me anything or anything like that. I wasn't expecting anything. And he sent me the $2,000. Um, when things go good, it's easy for us to be happy and, and, and praise the Lord. How are things going? Oh, praise the Lord. It's going wonderful. And then when things go down a little bit and we think too much, then we start getting, we start going down. And then everything looks bad. And sometimes we stay down there for several days or several weeks or several months. I've known people for several years. And it's not easy for those people that are going through that. So God says, if you do well, will not your, circum your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not well, sin is crouching at your door and, the desire, and its desire for you, but you must master it. So the Bible is telling Cain, here's what God is telling him. Listen to the truth. And when you believe how you are feeling, instead of believing the truth, how will your walk be? It will be as inconsistent as your emotions are at times. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but sometimes our emotions are all over the place. All over the place. In John 13, 17, the Bible says this. If you know these things, you are blessed if you do them. Know what things? Well, if you know who you are in Christ, you are going to be blessed by knowing that. If you believe that God loves you, if you believe that you are special to God, if you believe that he has taken your sins and he has he, he's not only forgiven, that he's forgotten them, they'll never come up again, you are not afraid of any judgment because you've already passed through the judgment. So there's no judgment that, you, you know, a lot of Christians are waiting at the end of time wondering, are they ready? Are they ready? I remember when I first heard that years ago. I was a young preacher and I heard... Somebody, I went to a camp meeting and they said that, are you ready for Jesus to come? And I said, I said to myself, of course, everybody, every Christian is. They have Christ living in them. Every Christian is ready. You don't get ready, you are ready. But it's surprising how many people are trying to get ready. In other words, they're looking at themselves and they're saying there's something wrong with me. 
I got to get ready. There is nothing wrong with you. You are ready. I mean, it's, it's craziness. You are ready if Jesus Christ would come today, you'd join him, meet him in the air, and ever be with him in the air. There, when, when Jeremiah, when, when he started thinking about this, and, and this is what he says here in uh, Jeremiah 20. Surely my soul remembers. Now, this is important that we understand this because these are the steps we're going to go through with our emotions. Surely my soul remembers and is bowed down within me. This I recall in my mind, he says. This I recall in my mind. Therefore, I have hope. So what Jeremiah is doing, he's down in the dumps. He doesn't see life is working. He thinks God is ticked off at him. And so now he's coming to this place and he says to him, well, now I remember how God blessed me here. I remember how God blessed me there. And now all of a sudden, hope is being built up in him. And he says, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceased. Now, this was a guy, just a few <laughs> scriptures ago, a few, he's, he said that, that God is angry with him. God is causing him to walk in darkness. And now he's saying, the Lord's loving kindness indeed never ceased. For his compassion never failed. Now, he is saying that there's good reason to trust God now. Now that he remembers these things, it's all coming back to him. Did, <clears throat> did his perception of God change? Indeed, it did. The more he started thinking about what God was doing, he started thinking and he started changing. His attitude started changing. Then his emotions followed. All of a sudden, now we find him praising the Lord. First of all, I'm walking in darkness. Then he starts thinking about what God did here, what God did there. And now he's got this ray of hope. And then he says, his compassion never fails. And he goes and he says this. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. So now all of a sudden, he's depressed, he's discouraged, and he feels like giving up, and now he's saying, great is your faithfulness. When we look in the New Testament, we say that God is faithful. I mean, we, we confess that we are not always faithful. But God is always faithful. That in itself should remind us who we are in Christ. That should remind us that God has given us a life. Now, <clears throat> we need to be, we need to control, we, we, we can't control our feelings. But we can control our thoughts. We can do that. And that's what we need to do. In Romans 12, this is a text we use often. And do not be conformed to the, this world, but be transformed 
by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what's the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So here we're talking about God's telling us, giving us counsel to renew our mind. Jeremiah found out that he could renew his mind by what? By thinking what God has done for him in the past. Now, if I would ask every one of you, tell me about when you, were, when you found Christ. Some of you would say, well, I can't really pinpoint any date. I grew up in it. I grew up knowing that God loved me. Uh, I've, always, I've, I've always known the Lord. Others would say, well, like myself, yeah, that's when I got, I was converted when I was 23 years old. I was all confused, all messed up from the Marine Corps. And so I have a, a story to tell. And every one of us have a story to tell. No matter whether you grew up in a church or not, you have a story to tell. Because some have had the wrong view of God. And they grew up with the wrong view of God. All their life, all their Christian life, they have fought a battle that some of us will never know. And of, and of course, they'll never know the battles that some of us that were converted later in life. We have our own battles. Everybody has them. So we can control our thoughts by the renewing of our mind. Now, a lot of people think that renewing of your mind is reading the Bible, and that's, that can be part of it. That, that's no question. Prayer, that can be part of it. Quiet time can be part of it. That's, but that's really not it. The renewing of the mind is remembering what God has done for you. It's remembering what, who God says that you are. I mean, what a thrill it was for me at 23 years old to find out that I am a child of God. As messed up as I am, God loves me, he's accepted me, and I'm his child. I mean, that was great, great news for me to know that I had now entered into the body of Christ. We, we do this by filling our minds with the knowledge of God and his word. Believing what he says is true. And you know, it's so easy for us to say, well, I, I believe that. But I'm not so sure we do. We say we do but I'm not convinced that we do believe it. It's taken me years to believe some of the things that I believe now. Years. Um, if someone said, do you believe the Bible? I would say yes. Do you believe what the, what the Bible says? I would say yes, as far as I understand it, I, I, I believe it. But did I really believe it? The next time that you get down on yourself, I want you to think of Jeremiah, a mighty man of God, who encouraged himself by remembering what God has did for him in the past. He didn't go to a counselor, didn't go to a preacher, didn't go to an evangelist. He encouraged himself by remembering what God did for him in the past. So I just want to encourage you to remember, whenever you get down, to remember the faithfulness of God as you can point in your life where he has done some wonderful things for you and to you. 
Too many Christians have fallen into Satan's trap because they have feel they feel that they have failed God. And that's why their emotions are all over the place. If you feel that you are a disappointment to God, then your emotions are going to be all over, all over the place. When Jeremiah, when he confronts himself by remembering what God did, it all worked out in his mind. He connected the dots, he put them together, and he says, wow, God is faithful. He is faithful. We need to see we need to see God as he really is. And sometimes I think that we fail there. We don't really get a good picture of God. Uh, before salvation, there was two problems. One was sin, and one was spiritual death. And God gave us two solutions to that. First, Jesus' death on the cross his blood that was shed, that washed away our sins forever. It washed away our sins forever. That's why you've heard me many times say, there's nobody that's going to miss heaven because of, of sins. The only way that you can miss heaven is through unbelief that God took care of your sins. He took care of them 2,000 years ago, and he took care of them forever. The second thing is, because of the resurrection, we have been made alive in Christ. Now, <clears throat> these two things are really important, and I, and I really hope that you follow me through this. I'm going to go to 1 Corinthians 15, 16 through 19. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. I mean, think about that. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. In verse 19 it says this, if we have hope in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. This is, this is a key. Without Christ's resurrection, we would still be dead. Because of the resurrection, we have been made alive. Through the cross, God has taken care of our sins. Through the resurrection, we now have Christ living in us. The Bible says it is our hope of glory. So we have Christ living in us because of the resurrection. John 14, 19 says this, after a little while, the world will no longer see me. This is Jesus speaking to his disciples, will no longer see me. But you will see me, because I live, you will live also. 
our new spiritual life is having Christ's life in us. He lives, we live. We are in Christ and he is in us. His life is our life. Now, notice here in Colossians 3. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When you accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, your life was hidden with Christ in God. When the Bible says that he sealed you unto the day of redemption, that's what the Bible meant. That you are sealed and nobody can break that seal. Nobody can break God's seal. You can't even break it. And I know that there's a lot of believers who feel that you can. But I'm here to tell you, you can't. When the Holy Spirit sealed you in Christ, you are his forever. Forever. Now you have Christ living in you. Christ is not merely a part of your life. He is our life. He is our life. We're saved because Jesus lives and we are saved as long as Jesus lives. Did you know that eternal life is a person? It's not some gift package we get at the end. Eternal night life is not a longer life. It's not a better life. That's not what the eternal life is all about. The only way a person can have eternal life is having Jesus Christ live in them. Because Jesus Christ is eternal. Eternal life is having a person. Now, I don't know about you, but that makes me feel real good. It makes me real feel really good that Christ came knocking on my door and I responded and he sealed me unto the day of redemption. He set up, he cleaned me up, took, took all my sins and forgave them, promised me he would remember them no more. And then he promised that he would live in his life in me and through me. Do you see it? Salvation is, 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 is Christ. It's Christ living in you. And he's there to stay. He's not going to leave you. He says, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. His only desire is for you and I to say, Lord, Live your life in me and through me. That's all I want. That's all I want. And that's all he wants of you. That's all he wants of you. He's not asking you for anything else. He's not asking you to follow a set of rules or regulations or anything else like that. Just allow him to live his life through you. Because he's already in you. You've been filled with the Holy Spirit. And in 1 John 5, 4, the Bible says this. Or he, that's all right, let's go to Hebrews 7, 25. Therefore, he is able also to save forever those who draw near to God through him, 
since he always lives to make intercession for them. So here in Hebrew says, he is able to save you forever. Eternal life is Christ living in you. That is your eternal life. You will live as long as Christ lives. And Christ is eternal. That's what eternal life is. If you don't have Christ, you do not have eternal life. It's just that simple. Now, let's go to um, 1 John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God, for, for whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith, our belief. Do you believe them? Remember, it's facts, faith, believing, and then that controls our emotions. Facts, faith, and emotions. God is saying, believe the truth. Believe the truth about me. It doesn't mean believe. It doesn't have all those doctrinal things that people shout out and say, this is the truth, you have to believe in it. I mean, look, 300 different denominations we have in this country. And every one of them are saying, yeah, we follow the Bible. This is, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what you should do. This is what you ought to do. No, there's Bible text for almost everything, it seems like. When it's taken out of context, you can, you can apply it to almost anything, I guess. But God is saying, believe the truth. Believe the truth about him. You know, it used to bother me because <clears throat> when I was an evangelist, everybody always said, you know, that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth. And as a young preacher, I was, think, I was thinking, well, Lord, is the Holy Spirit confused or what? What does this mean? It leads us into all truth. It's, it doesn't mean doctrinal things that we think it does. When the Bible talks about believing the truth, it's believing what Jesus Christ has done. It's believing who you believe you are, who the Bible says you are. That's what believing the truth is, the truth about Christ, that he's the only way out. He's the only way out. So in 1 Peter 1.4, the Bible says much more is going to happen to us. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises so that by them you may become partakers of his divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. So the Bible says now Christ is living in you and you are partaking of Christ's nature because he lives in you. This is what causes you to want to do what God wants you to do. At your deepest core, not up here in your mind, but here at your deepest core, you are everything God says you are. God is saying, believe this truth. When we understand grace, you can make your emotions servants to the truth of God. In fact, you and I must insist 
that the gospel needs to govern our faith. Not all this doctrinal stuff that's out there today. It's about Christ. In 1 John, the Bible says this. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God. Now here's the fact. And such we are. Every single born-again believer has been added to the body of Christ. I don't care what denomination they're in. doesn't make any difference to me. Every single one of them have been added into the body of Christ if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when, we, when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. The Bible is very plain. We need to believe what, by, what the Bible says is true. Jeremiah wrongly perceived that God was against him. And sometimes, maybe you and I have come to the place where we thought, well, God must be mad at me. Must, must not be he must be ticked off at me because maybe I'm not doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Maybe when things go wrong, we say, what's wrong with me? There's got to be something wrong with me. And I'm here to tell you, there's nothing wrong with you. It's your perception of God that may be twisted just a little bit. God loves you just the way you are. He's not asking you to change at all. He promises that he will change you if you let him. Get out of his way. If you try changing yourself, it's not going to work. I've seen people take the Bible and they're going to follow everything that God says. And I've seen them go year after year after year. And it hasn't worked for them. And finally, they just put the Bible aside. They didn't want to read it anymore. Jeremiah wrongly perceives that God was against him. And he lost control of his emotions. He cries out, Lord, why are you letting me go through this? He says to the Lord, this is not fair. And no sooner does he say, this is not fair, he says, what am I doing wrong? That sounds like most of us. When things go bad, we start thinking, what are we doing wrong? But once Jeremiah started seeing God as he really is, as he remembered, the renewing of his mind set in, and all of a sudden he gets hope, and now he's back to where he should be. That's why sometimes people say to me, you know, so-and-so, there's an expression used in the Christian community, so-and-so is backslid. I don't know what that means. Um, oh, I mean, I, I know what they think it means, but... <coughs> Where do you backslide to? I mean, um, there's no such thing as a backslider. Christ is in him. He's going through maybe what Jeremiah went through. Maybe he's just confused. Maybe he's frustrated. Maybe life isn't working for him. 
That doesn't mean he's not, out, he's not in Christ. If he was born again, he's still in Christ. He's just going through some difficult times. Once we start seeing how God sees us, things are going to change. Our emotions are going to change. They're not going to be all over the place. We're going to find a security that we've never had before. The Bible says you are a new creature. You can read it in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 5, or 2 Corinthians 5, that you are a brand new creature in Christ. You can read Ezekiel 36, and you'll find out that you have a new heart. You'll find out that God gave you a new human spirit. You'll find out that he filled you with the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel 36. Your old self was crucified. You can find that in Romans 6. You can read all about that. Now, this is what God is saying to you. He says, you are a new creature. In Christ, you are a new creature. You have a new heart, a new human spirit. I gave you all of that, God is saying. He says, your old self was crucified. It's gone. He's saying all that. And then he says to us that you are accepted. Just the way you are, you are accepted. You are sanctified. Now, sanctified means you're set apart for holy use. There's a process of sanctification that takes place in our life. But the Bible says that you are sanctified. The Bible says in Ephesians 1 that you were chosen and you are blameless. Blameless. And then the Bible too, it tells us we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. The Bible says in Colossians that you are complete. You are complete. The Bible says in Hebrews that you're complete forever, forever. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. The Bible says that you are a child of God. So when things, when, when the world comes at us, and it does, it does. I mean, there's no stopping it. The world comes at us. We remember all of these things. Wait a minute, I'm sealed in the Holy Spirit. I'm a new creation. My life is hidden with Christ. I am as safe and secure as I possibly could be. And God loves me, and God knows what he's, what's going through up here. And he's trying to tell us what's down here. It's not what goes through your mind up here. It's just, 12, just drop down 12 inches and you are who you are here. That's who you are in Christ. All of these things that God says you are, you are. You are. And you can believe it because it's true. It's true. There's nothing wrong with you. God thinks you're wonderful. God wants to continue to work through you. And he just wants you to trust him. Just trust him that everything is going to be okay. And it will be because you have Christ living in you. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, we thank you and we praise you for the good news of the gospel. It brings to us assurance, security, and it, it demonstrates how much you love us. We thank you for that gift of eternal life having you in us. We praise you for that. Bless us now as we walk by the Spirit as we just trust
trust in you. For we ask it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.